0: All right, so uh, the last few weeks, we've actually been in a series um, all this month uh, called First Comes Love, as you just saw on the, the bumper there, and uh, it, it's really this series that we've been in that's based on that like nursery rhyme or that you know playground rhyme that we all learned when we were kids. You know, Randy and Hansi sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, first comes love, then comes what? Yeah. Marriage, and then comes... A baby in a baby carriage, right? Yeah, so uh, so that, that's what we've been talking about. So we spent the uh, the, the last couple of weeks kind of pick, picking apart the, these uh, topics of romance and relationships and dating and what that looks like. And today we're actually gonna step into a conversation about marriage. Uh, and so every year, uh, I don't know if you know this, but every year in the US, there are actually about two and a half million weddings, which means that there are about five million people who uh, a year in our country who commit themselves to what I think is kind of the craziest social experiment that's ever been conducted uh, which is marriage which is two people deciding hey you know what let's try to spend the rest of our lives together um, and, and so I, I ran across some posts uh, of people describing what marriage is like uh, and I thought some of them were actually pretty good so it says uh, the first one says feels like 90% of marriage is just waiting in the car for your spouse um, anybody anybody relate to that one? Uh, one person wrote marriage is like coffee. It starts out really hot. Then it's just right. Then it actually makes you get off your butt and go do some things, uh, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, it says, you know, you've been married a while when you can correctly answer what's that one guy's name in that one movie about the thing. Uh, and then finally marriage is just a bunch of text messages back and forth asking what time are you coming home? Uh, which I think is actually pretty, pretty true. Um, Oh, oh! I forgot one. This one, I forgot this one. This person wrote, if you're wondering what marriage is like, for Valentine's Day, my husband cleaned out the fridge and I could not be happier. And I'm just like, <laughs> that is 100% a great picture of what marriage is like. So there's actually a lot of truth in there. Our, our culture is in love with the idea of falling in love. And there's a reason for that. Falling in love is amazing, right? It's when all of the fireworks happen. We actually use the word chemistry to describe it, right? Which really isn't that far off because all the fireworks are a lot of chemicals that are firing in our brain. There's a lot of brain chemistry going on when you're falling in love. And so but for our conversation here, maybe this month, I I wanted to do something where we just talk about romantic love, kind of breaking it down into two parts. Number one being attraction, and the second thing being attachment. And, and when we talk about being in love with the idea of falling in love, what I mean is that we're obsessed with that attraction part, right? I mean, there's over a thousand different matchmaking organizations in our country alone, a thousand, like a thousand different companies that you can pay money and fill out a profile and they'll match you with someone else with a profile and and supposedly try to help some love happen between you, right? Right. Uh, but the, it 's in our movies it's in music it 's in our shows, and, and whenever the the idea or the theme of love shows up, right what they focus on whenever they focus on love is always the falling in love part it 's almost always that part it 's almost always the attraction and, and the un, the unspoken assumption we have in our culture is if the attraction is strong enough and they 're the right person attachment, you know, the, if the attraction's strong enough, the attachment part will just sort of take care of itself. You don't even need to think about that because if they're the right person and if you really fall deep enough in love, you'll just be attached to one another because, and we don't talk about it because attachment is a lot less fun, right? It's a lot more work to stay attached to somebody else. And so we just kind of focus all of our attention on the attraction piece because the only prerequisite for falling in love really is having a pulse right like it's not being dead right like are you alive yes okay you're in you can fall in love i mean you can fall in love with someone you've never met in about 10 seconds walking them watching them walk across the you know the room a crowded room right or or like staring at a screen like oh my god i've never met this man but this guy what's the guy's name on yellowstone that all the ladies swoon over all right, you know what I'm talking about. He wears the jeans, he's got the hat. You know, you know what I'm saying. I know I described everybody on that show. Um, but now here's the thing. I'm not a relationship expert in any way. I don't even play one on TV. Uh, I'm a preacher, obviously. But I am married to the most amazing lady on the planet. And we are clocking in um, at 35 years together and 28 years married this year, uh, which is pretty cool. Beyond that, though, I've been a pastor almost that entire time, almost the entire time we've been married, which means that I'm the guy that's been called more times than I can count in the last 27 years um, after the damage of bad relationship decisions has already been done. And, and so that's how I'm kind of coming to you this morning. I'm coming to you as somebody who gets the call when the husband's cheated who gets the call when the wife has left, who gets the call when the kids are a mess, who gets the call from the teen who feels like a pawn in their parents' divorce. I'm the guy that gets called when family is falling apart and when hearts have already been broken. Now, the reality is we're, we're all in love with the idea of being in love. But fewer and fewer of us actually have any idea what love really is, about what it, what it looks like or how to experience it. And, and obviously we all know all the statistics about marriage and divorce. They're all all over the place. It's well known, right? It's basically when you get married, it's basically a coin flip on whether or not you're going to make it. And, and that's just the first one, right? If, if that one doesn't make it, the odds go way down from there on the second one. Now, when you look around, you think about all this stuff together. What's obvious is that we're all naturally equipped to fall in love but most of us are not equipped to stay in love. So what do we do? How do we learn how to not just fall in love, but to actually make love last for a lifetime? One of the things I love about kids is their thinking, right? Kid logic, is amazing. So a few years ago in 2018, we took our, surprised our kids. We went on this trip uh, to the East Coast and, um, and we were trying to do it. We were doing it on a shoestring budget. And so we decided um, and set it all up and ended up staying in uh, with a family in Pennsylvania that we met on Facebook that we'd never met in real life before. And so we just took a, took a flyer and we stayed with these people. It was pretty wild. Um, and, and, but one day we actually went driving, we drove all over Pennsylvania, you know, went to, you know, all the sites and, and we were actually, one day we drove down to Washington, DC we actually stayed down there because we had some friends. We stayed overnight, did all the DC stuff and we were getting ready to leave, leave DC. And so I have a, I have a seven year old Kelton, uh, he's getting ready to turn eight. And so, you know, this was five years ago. So he was like three years old and, uh, we were getting ready to leave and, and he He was like super hungry and asking about lunch. And I was like, dude, we're we're going to Gettysburg. I mean, we'll get lunch after that. And he was just like, you know, and then he's like, we get in the car and he goes, Daddy, do they have spaghetti there? And I was like, what? He goes, do they have spaghetti in (laughs) Spaghetti'sburg? And I was like, that's a good name for a restaurant. All right. But when you're a kid, the whole world is magic, right? Like, like, I don't know if you've ever had this moment, but I've had this moment with every single one of my kids. I have adult children now. I have a little kid, as I just said, and, and I have a, a middle schooler in between. And, and I've had this moment with all of them where they, they're wanting to go to McDonald's or they're wanting to buy something. And I'm like, look, I, we just can't afford it. I don't have any money. And they just go, dad, just use your card. Just use your card. It's like, in their mind, it's this magic card that you just swipe or you wave around and just gets you stuff, right? They don't realize that, obviously, you got to have some money, which means you got to work. And even if you work, you don't get to keep all the money you earned from working because, well, the government's got their hands in your pockets, right? And, and, and whatever you do keep, you can't just buy whatever you want because then you got to spend all your money on the stuff that you have to buy. And you explain all that to your kids, and they're still like... So can we still get ice cream and go ride go-karts or not tracking with what this has to do with lunch, right? And that response is understandable and even cute when you're a kid. But a lot of us actually have a hard time kind of growing out of that mindset in a lot of different areas of our life. And the problem is when we're living in an adult world with a childish mindset, it always ends in heartache and disappointment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's one of the most well-known parts of the New Testament. Right? Even if you've never read the Bible at all, chances are you've probably heard some of the verses out of 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding, at least, because they get read a lot at weddings because there's a lot about love in there. But I actually want to read you one of the verses that doesn't get read as much, especially at weddings. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. It says this. It says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. So there's obviously a lot of different ways and a lot of different areas of our lives that this speaks to, but it's interesting that he writes these words right in the middle of a passage about love, about how love behaves. See, when you think about it, responsibility is what separates children from adults, right? Children throw fits, children stomp their feet, children blame other people, children play the victim, children dodge responsibility and expect other people to fix their problems, But maturity does the opposite of those things, right? Which means that when it comes to love, maturity takes ownership. Maturity accepts responsibility. Maturity looks for ways to grow. Maturity gets busy trying to solve the problem rather than fix or blame the other person. But who wants to do any of that, right? Let's just get back to that attraction stuff. So there was a moment in the life of Jesus where people were trying really, really hard to justify not doing any of the things that actually mature people do. And so they were asking him about marriage and divorce. And this is how it went in Matthew chapter 19, verse three. So some of the Pharisees, they were the religious elite. They came to Jesus to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? I love Jesus' response, verse four. He says, haven't you read? Okay, we don't get it because we don't know that culture, but this is the ultimate burn. Okay, Jesus saying, haven't you read? Because to be a Pharisee, to be a rabbi, to be who these people are, they memorized the entire, old, what we call the Old Testament. All right, they. So he's going, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Old Testament. I don't know if you guys have read the Bible. Haven't you read? Of course they've read it. They could recite it frontwards and backwards. He says, haven't you read? That at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Before we continue reading, the reason why they had come to ask this question is because there were two different thoughts. There are two different schools of thought when it came to divorce. There was one rabbi that said, like the only, when when you look backwards at the Old Testament, that the only way that God allows for divorce is if there's been some infidelity, right? So that was kind of the traditional thought. But there was this new rabbi who had this progressive sort of thought about divorce and He came up with the any and every reason clause. That's why they actually worded it right like that. Is it lawful to divorce your wife for any and every reason? Because his thing was like, you can if if you're just dissatisfied, if you don't like her, if you get tired of her, if you just want to check out, if you're offended by her, you can just divorce them for any and every reason. And so they come to Jesus and they want him to speak into this question that everybody's sitting around arguing about. And Jesus says. I don't know if you guys have read the Bible, but let me tell you what it says, right? So in verse seven, they say, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And they're like, got him. We got him. But Jesus, he's too smart for that. He's like, Jesus Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Whoa whoa, Jesus, to which Jesus' disciples then said, if that's the case, it's better just not to get married, which I think is a hilarious response. They're like, look, if I can't change wives whenever I want, I'm better off not getting married. That was basically what they were saying. If I can't just get divorced whenever I want, for whatever reason I want, if God actually cares about this stuff, I should just stay single. Now, before we dive into the marriage stuff and where we're gonna go, obviously the context of this conversation was divorced. So let's just be honest for a second. Relationships, marriage, it's hard. And sometimes relationships are painful. And there's a lot of us who actually have experienced the pain and the guilt and the shame of divorce. Even if it was something that happened to us, we can't help but feel like a failure on top of all of the hurt and pain and heartache that they caused to us. The last thing you need or anybody needs is to come in here and feel condemned and hopeless. So what the heck is up with what Jesus said? We could spend a whole entire conversation here, but let me just give you the quick answer. The conversation, the context, they're talking about the Old Testament law here, which is really, really important for you to know because the law was only given so that we, humanity, could actually all see our own sin and then point us to God's promise. If you want to read more about this, flip to the New Testament book of Galatians. In that book, the Apostle Paul in the entire third chapter is about this. In fact, this is what he says. The law was only given so that we could know what sin was and so that we would actually be pointed to the promise that God gives us that we're loved. See, here's the thing. Jesus always pointed people to the ideal while at the same time giving them grace for the real deal. He meets us all where we are and he loves us and he offers us forgiveness and healing and helps us move forward from wherever we are. I want you to hear this. Nobody here is pointing fingers at you or anybody, no matter what you've experienced. But I I do want you to see that what it is that Jesus ultimately said, that that he says that leads so many people or so many relationships to this conversation, to this place of breaking apart. He actually says it's hard Hearts. Right? That that was his response. That happens because your heart is hard. And, And what I want you to know is if you're you're in a place that you're in a relationship or you just feel like your heart is being hardened towards that person that you love, God wants to soften your heart today. So Jesus answered their question by telling them that they're asking the wrong question. And he's like, You guys clearly don't understand what love and marriage are all about. And also you don't understand why it gets so complicated. And so in order to do that, you got to go back to the beginning. And he quotes, he goes all the way back to the very beginning of humanity, creation, the very first humans. He goes back and quotes from Genesis chapter two. So let's take a look at what he quoted from. In Genesis chapter two, verse 24 and 25, it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So, In the middle of this, God's talking and he says that he's describing why he brings them together and he says that is why. Meaning that there are actually reasons, there's intentions that God had in mind when he created marriage. Things like friendship and intimacy and sex and partnership and purpose and that's all the good stuff, right? We love all of that stuff. But there's also some stuff that gets in the way. So if you know the story, Adam and Eve sin when they're caught. Adam really mans up to God and blames Eve. (laughs) And then Eve blames the serpent. And there's all kinds of fallout for them and everybody who would come after them, including us. And so there's this one moment in Genesis 3 where God is speaking to Eve, and this is what he says. He says, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. In other words there's going to be a never-ending power struggle between men and women, even in, and maybe especially in, marriage. Now, this isn't the way that God created it to be. It wasn't how he intended it to be. It's just the way that it is. It's part of the way that sin broke us and that sin broke the world. Men and women living in tension with one another, struggling for power and control. Now, while that's true, we all go about it in different ways, right? And, and here's the deal. Whether you believe all of this is you know, true or not, or this, this Bible story, if you've been married or you've been in a serious relationship or you've been close enough to one to observe it, chances are you've experienced this and you've actually just witnessed this. You don't need this Bible story to tell you that it's true. So th- this is not universal because we go about it differently, but guys, just think about it. Like when life is hard and you're lonely and you're scared and you're hurt and things aren't going the way you want them and things are not good at home and you're backed into a corner... And you're in a conflict with your lady, we almost always do one of two things. We either power up and we use our physicality, yelling, anger, size, intensity to try to gain the upper hand, or we completely go passive and abdicate any and all responsibility and leadership. We just sort of check out. For a lot of us, there's no in between, right? It's one extreme or the other. It, it, it's like, if I can't dominate, and we, we, you know, once you get a little maturity on you, you know, like, okay, it's not healthy to just power up and try to dominate, but I don't know what else to do, so I'm just gonna just completely back away and just completely abdicate all of the responsibility. The problem is, no matter which way we go in that scenario, both of those things play on her fear, which is not being loved or wanted. And ladies, the most common response from you, again, painting with a really broad brush, when you're backed into a corner, when you're in a conflict with your man is to either, number one, leverage sex as a bargaining chip or to use your words to tear him down and question his ability to be a man. And those things in turn play on our biggest fear, which is inadequacy or not being enough. Now, what does any of that have to do with love? Are we just stuck in this power struggle, right? Is it just whoever can get the upper hand One of the questions I often have gotten asked in the last 20, 25 years uh, around this verse in Genesis is like, okay, well, who wins? Like who gets the final say? I mean, I know we're supposed to compromise and find common ground, but when we can't, who gets to assert their will? Who has permission from God and the Bible to put their foot down and demand what they want? And typically in church, that's where all the, the man is the head. Scriptures get kind of pulled out of the closet and taken out of context and used as a club to beat people down, you know, and just say, this is the way it's going to be. Well, the apostle Paul actually writes a huge chunk of one of his letters to husbands and wives in a book called, the, uh, called Ephesians. And at the end of what he's writing about, he sums it all up this way in Ephesians chapter five, verse 33, he says this, he says, so again, I say to you, he's repeating something he's already said. Each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Now, question for you. Why would God need to command husbands to love their wives and why would he need to command wives to honor and respect their husbands? Well, he would do it for the same reason you command anyone to do anything, right? You give the command when what's being commanded won't happen automatically or intuitively or emotionally all the time. And it's least likely to happen in circumstances where it's most needed, right? Guys, when you are most needed to be loving towards your wife is usually when you are most likely to be least loving and vice versa. Because instead of doing those things, we just sort of react to whatever we're feeling. We're triggered. triggered, You made me angry, whatever. See, here's what you already know. Love is an intentional choice, not an emotional feeling. And here's how you know that that's true because God commands it. And you can't command somebody how to feel. You can make somebody do something, but you can't make anybody feel something. And God knew that men and women would always drift towards control and and manipulation of one another for their own benefit. Not because men are toxic and women are manipulative. It's just what we do because we're all broken. So he says, men, do whatever is most loving to and for her, period, full stop. No qualifiers, no exceptions. And women, do whatever communicates the most honor and respect to and for him, period, full stop. No, yeah, but, and what about, and he, if he would, or if she would, if they did, you don't know. There's none of that. There's no exceptions. See, if you look out for yourself, you'll always end up empty and disappointed and disconnected. But if the two of you will actually begin to look out for each other, you'll both end up filled and fulfilled and deeply connected. Look at the way that this same guy, Paul, says it in another one of his letters in in Philippians chapter two. He says, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now the context of what he's writing about really isn't love or marriage. It's not romantic love. The context he's writing about is just people in a church together trying to figure out how to get along. But here's the thing. If he's saying these things and th- to those people, if they're supposed to do this stuff, how much more should we be doing this? How much more should this be the way that we approach our husbands or our wives? And so he says, agree wholeheartedly. And basically, he's getting look, like, look, you need to work hard to find some common ground. Work for and with one another, not against each other. Stop talking about and start talking to each other. See, love always, love regularly prioritizes them over always preferring me. Love is like, look, I'm going to serve you even though I don't wanna serve you. I'd rather do what I wanna do. I don't know about you, but I don't have to try very hard to prefer me and what I like and the way that I see things. It just comes really, really naturally right? It's impulsive. It's just in me. I prefer me over pretty much everybody. But prioritizing her, my wife, it takes intention. It takes effort. See, put another way, falling in love requires a pulse. I said that a little while ago, but staying in love requires a plan. Falling in love is about attraction. Staying in love is about action because that sounded so good, the rest of my message is gonna rhyme. <laughs> just kidding. But you think about it. Look, if you're a parent, it's the same way with your kids, right? Making them's the fun part. And then there's the joy and the euphoria of when they're born. You don't have to do anything to just love them. You just do. You just love them. But man, raising them, that's different. That's work. That requires a plan. And there are moments you want to kill them, right? Right? There are moments where you gotta sneak into their room while they're sleeping at night so that you're reminded of how much you love them. Even when they're in high school. <laughs> See, there's no magic pill you can slip them to make, you know, to, to make them grow up and mature. It doesn't just happen. It takes, it, it happens on purpose, right? It's not an accident. It takes intention and action. Right? And in our relationships, like Here's the thing, you cannot blab your way out of a situation you behaved your way into. We spend all this time pat- doing things to one another, living in patterns, and then we just wanna see if we can just sort of talk our way out of it. You can't. Like uh, Maybe this point is just for me because I, I'm a talker. I, like, I'm a professional talker. I talk to people. I like to talk things. I verbally process things, and I feel like I can talk my way out of almost any situation, but it actually takes change. It actually takes action. See, you can talk it to death. You can make excuses. You can blame, you can play the victim, but nobody can fix it for you. You gotta do the work. The question is, what does that actually look like? Well, I I wanted to spend the rest of our time giving you a couple of ideas that I think come straight from the verses that we read in Philippians 2 a second ago. The first thing is this. You got to be willing to see more than yourself. In those verses, he says, be humble and think of others. We all do this thing when we look at a picture that we're in. We immediately look at ourselves. We ignore everybody else in the picture, right? In fact, we judge the entire picture based on one thing. How do I look? Everybody else can look amazing, but if you look like you got a dumb look on your face, you're like, that's a stupid picture, delete it right now, (laughs) right? But we do that with pictures because we do that with everything. Can I tell you something though? Love makes decisions based on what's good for us, not just what's good for me. See more than yourself. Secondly, making love last takes doing more than you wanna do. He says, work together and don't be selfish. You already know this, but doing what's best and doing what's right almost never feels right when it comes time to do it. This isn't true just about relationships, getting up and going to work, being responsible, being an adult, doing what's best and doing what's right. It almost never feels right in the moment. Nobody ever Nobody feels head over heels every single day. Stay the course. Keep giving. Do what's most loving for her and most honoring for him. Jesus in Matthew 5, he gave us this instructions. He says, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give them the shirt off your back. He was talking about our enemies, right? He was talking about people that have made themselves your enemy. Each one of those scenarios is about doing more than we want to do. Because can I be honest? There's a lot of days I don't even want to go the first mile, much less the extra mile. But that's what love does. It does more than you want. Thirdly, love gives more than you have. I know it's hard to imagine looking at me here, but I don't work out that often. But when I have had moments and seasons in my life where I've worked out, one of my least favorite things to do is to work out with a trainer. Because a trainer finds your limits and then slowly and incrementally pushes you past them. Because they understand something about you that you only are sort of vaguely aware. That when you think you got nothing left, you actually have a little more to give. And they understand that when you give that little bit more, that's actually how you grow. That's what makes the difference. See, you can only grow the things that you plant. The only thing that grows on accident is weeds. And that's true in relationships too. If you want peace, be a peacemaker. If you want to be listened to, listen. Guys, this is a big one for us. I saw a meme this week that made me laugh And my wife said, my wife came and said to me, did you hear anything I said? Were you even listening? And I thought, that's a strange way to start a conversation. (laughs) That is the story of my life. What are you talking about? This is the first time you started talking. But here's what's true. Being heard is so close to being loved for all of us that we often can't distinguish it from distinguish those things from one another. I, I learned recently, it was actually last year, this helpful question and, and I, that I thought was really good. It was for husbands. When she's telling you something, she's pouring out her heart, she's telling you about her day, she's telling you about a problem. The question is, do you want me to fix it or feel it? Should I fix this or feel it? Right, because guys, you know this, like we're listening, like just get to the part where I can do something about this. I understand you, you're frustrated. Give me the problem to solve. Cut to the chase. This actually happened to us last night. So we had this, we were all ready for bed and then we had this really crazy, unexpected and challenging parenting situation that we had to deal with. And it was very emotionally charged. And it was when it was over, I was just in my head thinking about all the ways, all the things I need to do to fix this, all the things I need to do to solve it. And my wife, Hanzi, she needed just time to like process it and feel it and talk about it. And I, I didn't need that time, I, what, what? No, let, let's tackle, like, let's, let's get to this thing. Part of this happened, I'm the reason most of this happened. Like I don't wanna feel any of this, I wanna just fix it, right? And, and so for a while, like, it felt, there was this weird energy between us because we're just like, we don't, we're like two ships in the night, like how do we reconnect? And so we just started talking about that. Like, we don't want to, want to go to bed. And she's like, and you're speaking about marriage tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, we probably should get this resolved right now. It would be weird. By the way, that's not why she's not sitting on the front row like normal. Okay? <clears> okay. <throat> But look, you grow what you plant, right? If you want to be loved, love unconditionally. If you want respect, earn it over the long haul. If you want joy, focus on the positives. By the way, if you want to eat your own french fries, don't get married. Like don't, don't don't do it. Number four, finally, um, love more than you feel. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we've already kind of talked about this one a lot. But he says, don't look at, don't just look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. See, love includes feelings, but it goes way beyond them act loving, be loving, then you'll feel love. Passion is great, but devotion is better. Passion is important, but devotion is essential. It's deeper. It's more powerful. Devotion weathers the storms and it overcomes the obstacles. It isn't something you find. It's something you build, you cultivate it, you do it. See, this isn't about losing yourself, it's about becoming and giving them your best self by deciding to not make everything about yourself. Because the longer we're in relationships, the easier it is to make it about us, right? What we want, what we deserve, what they're not doing, what they should be doing. And so what starts out with us being enamored with them and willing to do anything to, you know, for them to show them, slowly evolves into what they're not doing for me. By the way, did you notice in Philippians, he doesn't, it doesn't say not to look out for your own interests. It just says, don't look out only for your own interests. Because otherwise, you're demanding. And you're demanding more from them and from the relationship than you're actually investing in it. And when you withdraw more than you deposit, eventually you go relationally bankrupt. Isn't it ironic that the principle that we laugh at our kids for not understanding about money is the same one that we haven't learned about relationships? That love costs. You can't just keep withdrawing. You gotta make some deposits. Love is costly, but the payoff is always, always, always greater than the investment. And I, I know that there's a thousand sort of like footnotes and practical things that we could unpack and what about and my husband won't and you don't know my wife and they won't listen and this. And Can I just tell you something? Almost everything that you think is the problem, it's not the problem, it's just a symptom. You start to build this stuff, a lot of those symptoms will suddenly start to evaporate. Maybe the thing that all of us, especially those of us who are married and in really committed relationships, should wrestle with this morning is how can I show how can I show them that I'm willing to lay down what I want for the sake of what they want more often. How, how do I show that to them? If that that feels too complicated, maybe just start by simply asking your husband or wife. How can I make your life easier today? Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a Christian. This is really good stuff. That if you implement it into your relationship, it will, it will help your life if you give it a shot. But if you are a follower of Jesus, which I think is probably a, the bulk of us, this kind of love isn't isn't optional. It, it's it's what he Commands us to do. And the best part of that is he doesn't leave us to go figure it out or to try to go make it happen on our own. He gives us himself, love himself. He gives us his love, his heart to go and do it. So at the beginning of today, I read you 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. I want to read it again, only this time I'm going to change out a few of the words and I'm going to change it because I simply want you to. I want to get at what Paul was really trying to say in this moment. This is what it, when I was broke, when I was a broken person, I spoke like a broken person and I thought like a broken person and I reasoned like a broken person. When I became a follower of Jesus and he moved inside of me, he began to change me and heal my brokenness and I'm slowly giving up my broken ways. That's what love does. It prioritizes them over preferring me. Let's pray together.